0: Brand leaders love to tell me how much they love that sound signaling another sale on their online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glossy, all lowercase. That's Shopify.com slash Glossy to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash Glossy.
1: Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast. I'm senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi. And on today's episode, I'm joined by Elizabeth de She's the chief brand officer at the sustainable B Corp certified apparel brand Frank and Oak. Frank and Oak is one of those brands that's very open about their sustainability efforts. They do a lot of work around transparency. They published a sustainability report showing the progress they've made. Um, They're B Corp certified, as I mentioned, which requires a whole lot of transparency to achieve. And we invited Elizabeth on to talk about growing a sustainable brand um, how they market around, you know, market and message around these things and just the challenges that brands are facing in the market right now. Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much. That's a, a pleasure.
1: Did I miss anything or leave anything out in that intro? Is there anything else you want to add about either and Oak or about you that uh, our, our listeners might want to know?
2: Um, no, I think that was a great intro. Uh, the only thing that um, I would say is that um, I'm also the uh, chief brand officer and head of impact for and Oak's parent company which is mm-hmm. a company called uh, Unified Commerce Group, uh, which was started um, right before the pandemic um, as a um, new retail company aiming to um, acquire and operate purpose-driven brands uh, in North America and help them expand globally. And Frank and Oak is our first uh, brand that uh, we acquired uh, as part of UCG, so that's uh, the only thing I would add.
1: <laughs> Got it. And did you start at Franken and Oak and then at UCG, or were you at UCG when they acquired Franken Oak?
2: So I was part of the founding team of UCG um, when we launched in 2019, and uh, then came into working with Franken Oak when it was acquired in October 2020, in the height of the pandemic. <laughs>
1: And then the last thing on Frank and Oak, uh, just a kind of background of the brand is um, we were just talking about this. You're based in the U.S., but the brand is based in Canada and it's is, is kind of international or yes. where is the how is the split for like where everybody is?
2: Yeah, that's right. So uh, UCG was launched um, in the U.S., um but frank and oak uh has always was founded in montreal in 2012 and has always been a uh, canadian based so the majority of the whole frank and oak operational team is uh based in montreal um some people in toronto and vancouver as well we have 14 stores in canada um, and then, as part of UCG, we have uh, a couple of key people um, remotely throughout the U.S.
1: So, what would you say is the the core identity of of Frank and Oak? I, I described it as a sustainable brand. I know it's like a big part of your messaging. Would you say that that's a, a you know kind of a main part of the identity?
2: Yeah. So, I would say maybe um, I can give a little bit of background on uh, on Frank and Oak. So, Frank and Oak was started in 2012. Um, as a menswear-only brand in Montreal, and it was really started by uh, the founders who were, you know, twenty-something uh, young guys working at Deloitte, and who were just looking for s- menswear that was not kind of serious suiting and not fast fashion. And uh, so they really started the brand for themselves and for this community of, you know, I don't know if we call them hipsters anymore, but uh, sort of the mid two thousands uh, hipsters. Um, In the cool neighborhoods of big cities around the world, essentially. So, um, you know, kind of Brooklyn, uh, the mile end in Montreal is where the company was founded and still has its office and its first store, which still exists. Um, and it evolved into over the years, um, they did a lot of collaborations with artists, um, and sort of local, you know, influencers in the Montreal community. They were very popular with the tech scene, kind of tech workers in Montreal and around Canada, and even in, uh, San Francisco and kind of Bay Area in the U S. Um, and then around 2017, uh, they decided to launch women's wear. And at that time, the head product designer, was pregnant and having her first child. And that's when there was kind of an aha moment among the team of, you know, what are we doing? What is the fashion industry doing in terms of environmental impact? Um, And, you know, let's, let's try to do better than the traditional kind of uh, fashion supply chain, not thinking about the environmental impact at all. So 2017 is really kind of when the sustainability efforts started, which, um, You know, feels like not that long ago, but also is really a long time ago in the sustainability conversations a lot of fashion brands are having.
1: Yeah, definitely. And now it seems, you know, like I said, it seems like a big part of the brand's identity. Um, I see that you guys talk about it a lot. You're very open about it, um, which I alluded to in the intro. I'm I'm interested in what it's like to be a brand that makes this a big part of of who you are and how you kind of talk to the customer about it. So and that you know that. There's a lot of parts to that. I want to ask you about your marketing and and other things. But to start, you guys published this um, brand progress report or sustainability progress report that was published this year. And is that your first time doing that, or have, is this a regular thing you guys do? Uh, yes.
2: Yeah. So maybe um, if you don't mind, I'll backtrack a little bit to your sure. question about kind of what the brand stands for, because I guess I didn't fully answer that question. Um, yeah, that's okay. So uh, Frank and Oak, you know the what we say we stand for in our positioning is really around this concept of inspiring better living. And that's really inspired by our customer who, um, you know, went, was originally kind of the mile end hipster, but has really um, continued to be, you know, what we see as our core customer who loves our brand and loves our product is um, a young person who is starting to be established in their life. So, you know, 27 year old seems to be kind of a um a bullseye which is that moment in your life when you have Uh, maybe a little bit more stable, maybe you live in an apartment, not with six roommates, but maybe with a partner by yourself, you start to care a lot more about the quality of life around you, whether it's home, whether it's food, whether it's, um, you know, arts and uh, sort of your hobbies outside of work, um, as well as professional development. And so we see that's really our core consumer that is caring more about the clothes that they wear and not just... um, you know, wanting to be kind of a climate warrior, a social justice warrior, although many would probably say that they are, uh, but more about, you know, how am I uh, addressing and presenting myself in a way that is um, something that reflects this, this stage of my life where quality is more important than quantity, but I also want to show my own creativity and style and youthfulness. So I would say that's really kind of who we are, um, you know, who are, customer is and our customer that loves us most and who we try to communicate to. And so coming out of that um, sustainability has obviously been inherent to the brand for already six or seven years now, but is something that we play up more because we see naturally it's just um, a big area where kind of this generation of, I would say, young younger millennials um, are very uh, passionate about and sort of how they live their lives and looking for ways to be less wasteful and uh, more sustainable.
1: Yeah. And and you mentioned that kind of like mid to late 20s period, which is where I am right now is kind of when you're you are like, I don't want to buy garbage basically anymore. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, hopefully um, a stable enough life that I can actually start to invest in better clothing. and And there's a little bit of a a gap sometimes where you're like, okay, I don't really want to buy like H and M or something anymore, but I also can't quite yet only buying those like really expensive, really buy it for life kind of brands. Um, but there's a sweet spot like you know, like you're saying, where you want to be more thoughtful, both in like the quality, but also in in the impact and um, you know, fast fashion. I I it's interesting that I feel like there's constant talk about like consumers and younger consumers are really conscious about sustainability and then you know brands like Shein or whatever are still making billions of dollars. So I, I kind of never know exactly how to feel about like what's actually happening there. Um, but you guys have found that there is a strong customer uh, base that does care about that and does want that, right?
2: So, yes, I think we see it more and more. I think um, what's been really interesting is we have done some deep dives actually last year speaking. We reached out to... Um, all of our consumers through email. And we said, you know, who wants to speak to us for an hour and uh, tell us more about who you are and what you like about Frank and Oak. And through that process, we ended up choosing 20 consumers Um that we spent time uh, interviewing really through zoom, just like this and really kind of understanding more about their motivations and where they're coming from and what sustainability means to them, because it is really important to us to, you know, ultimately we want to create product that people love to wear. Uh, we're not going to solve the climate price crisis by producing clothes. So we want to um, create uh, great product for consumers um, that they want to buy and that they want to consume and uh, that they feel is great value and also not damaging the environment as much as other brands. So uh, so yes, I believe, you know, I think what we've seen is the customers who really came to us originally because they, um, kn- they like the style, they've been to our stores in Canada uh, they like the whole vibe and sort of aesthetic of the brand, both menswear and uh menswear and women's wear. The majority of our customers are learning about sustainability in fashion through our channels if they're relatively loyal customers. So they might not have known that much about it, but in other parts of their lives, they have already behaviors uh, that show that they care and they link it to that. So, you know, we have um, customers who will say, oh, I didn't really know that su- that fashion could be sustainable or not sustainable, but I always make an effort to recycle in other parts of my life. I hate wasting. I don't want to uh, throw clothes away in the garbage. I want to... Um, you know, find other channels for it. So I think it's it might not be that people are super educated, but when we talk to them about these issues, it really resonates because there are other parts of their lives where they're already changing their behavior, uh, especially when it comes to wastefulness, I would I would say, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does. And, and so to circle back to this progress report that you guys have put out, um, is that kind of geared toward that, like educating the customer who maybe doesn't really know much about it? Or is it more for people who are like, I'm very passionate about sustainability, all things, and I want to make hundred percent sure that this brand is like for real, or is it a little bit of both? Like it can, you know, introduce the concept to people who maybe don't know, but also, you know, reassure people who do know what they're looking for and, you know, want to see those details?
2: Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of both. I mean, it's also uh, in a way for ourselves. Um, So to your original question, yes, this year is the first time that we put out a brand progress report. Um, It's available on a PDF on our website. Um, And this is something that, you know, we know other big brands are doing um, kind of pioneers in the space like Patagonia and Cotopaxi uh, do this as well. Um, we are a smaller brand. So, um, part of it is first, you know, this gives us a benchmark and a reason to, uh, keep track of all the data ourselves because it's very easy as a small-ish brand to, um, you know, so the product design is doing product design and sourcing is doing sourcing and marketing is doing marketing. But are we, and we know that, you know, in our conversations with suppliers, we feel good about the factory. We like what they're doing in terms of uh, the fabrics um, and sort of the innovations that they're putting in textile and lower impact uh, processes, both for manufacturing, but also for, um, uh, you know, the individual the fabrics themselves. Um, But that just happens on kind of small, you know, uh, small ad hoc basis. So it's important for us to then say, okay, let's actually see, can we quantify what we're doing and what are we working towards? And are we making progress one year on the other? So uh, this year, a big focus was, uh, we talk a lot about our material science, about our fabric innovation, um, that we source through different suppliers. So we wanted to actually say, okay, well, how? what percentage of our collection is actually using these sustainable fibers? Do we think it's significant enough? Um, Also to the point of waste that I was just talking about, if we have, you know, if all the perfect recycling solutions existed on a mass scale, what percentage of our collection would be easily recycled? So these are questions that we're asking internally and so we're starting to gather data year on year to be able to track our own progress so that we for ourselves know what we're doing um and is it kind of going towards a bigger objective and then also of course to be transparent with our customers i think um you know there is n- no perfect sustainable fashion brand uh out there because a lot of people don't really know what that even means like it could mean um Using certain type of recycled products, it could mean uh, it could be using all organic uh, textiles that are biodegradable. It can mean a million different things. So um, it's really to kind of be transparent and say, like, this is what it means for us. This is what we're doing. This is what we're keeping track of. And this is why we think it matters.
1: The report is quite detailed. It's like 17 pages. I, I I read through the whole thing. You know, like you said, it goes into your materials, it goes into your efforts towards circularity, it goes towards the breakdown of, you know, what the products are made of. I'm wondering just from a, uh like, operational standpoint, who who put that report together? Was that like the marketing team? Or I imagine you'd have to, you know, whoever did it had to kind of touch on all the different parts of the business and get all the facts from everybody but I'm just like wondering if a if a brand wanted to you know emulate you guys and do something like that like how did you put something like this together
2: yeah that's a great question I mean so I would say that uh, this one we put together internally um and uh I basically put it together <laughs> so
1: yeah. um, here you're looking at it yeah yeah um, it's very clean
2: But, um, but the, the crucial inputs really come from, uh, the sourcing team because a lot of it has to do with our, um, supply chain, um, understanding, um, you know, we, we make a huge, we made a full range of products of basics. So we have, uh, tops, we have bottoms, we had underwear and socks last year. We have jackets, we have heavyweight outerwear, we have lightweight outerwear, we have caps, we have accessories, we have tote bags. So we have many different suppliers. And so the sourcing team is really crucial in um, going to uh, touch base with suppliers regularly, understanding um, you know any measure, uh, measurements and data that's important for us to know on their side, as well as are their certifications up to date, their audits up to date, that sort of thing. Um, then from our operations team, which has more to do with um, how many packages are we sending out? Um, what percentage was delivered by electric vehicle? Uh, in which areas does that apply? How is that changing? How is that evolved? Uh, so it's really a cross-functional uh, process. And the marketing team, of course, does the final touch to you know make sure that um the graphics, the language, the everything is, is on, on brand, but it is really my advice to, you know, a small brand, um, that is trying to do this is, uh, you need one point person, um, and you need to understand what you want to tell the, the audience, whether it's the customer, whether it's media or whether it's, you know, it could be your shareholders or your internal employees, um, who might not know this themselves. Um, so, really understand what do you want them to take away from it um and i think that if you're doing it yourself like we did uh you can't have them take away you know this brand is perfect they've done everything right (laughs) Um, it has to be wow these are the things that they're thinking about and and working on and also there's some interesting things in here that i maybe didn't know about sustainability and fashion and hadn't thought about it in that way Um, because many, um, you know, ideally our, our ideal would be to work with a consultant who has been doing this for 15 years and has expert environmental science and carbon emissions and would be able to, um, you know, have benchmark against third party data sources and, and make it much more scientific. Um, but, uh, we see this as a a good first start to just show our community, um, this is what we stand for and this is what we're measuring and this is why it's important.
1: Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back.
2: It seems every brand I
0: talk to these days uses and loves Shopify. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS is the command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Shopify POS can accept credit cards, mobile payments, and every other major payment method, all with low fees and transparent pricing starting on day one. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash glossy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash glossy to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash glossy.
1: I want to ask kind of in the context of the report, but also just generally, is there, is there a challenge for you guys in having a lot of suppliers in terms of just Making sure that the parts of the business that are a little bit out of sight, uh, or or maybe less visibility because you know some other person is handling it, is is that a challenge in sustainability? I, I've heard you know that from other brands that it can be tough sometimes if you're working with a manufacturer or a supplier and you don't have full visibility into all of their business practices. That you know you really need to vet them and make sure that it's all you know up to your standards and all that. Um, so obviously, like you had to track down this data from these people, um, but also you work with them all the time. So I'm just wondering, like, because you guys have a lot of suppliers, does that present a challenge um, or is it all about just kind of like picking the right people from the start?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, we want to have, you know, a diversity of suppliers because we want to make different products. But what we have done in the last uh, couple of years, especially since uh, UCG, the parent company came in is really, um, consolidate our suppliers a bit more. Um, and the reason for that is really to focus on those suppliers with whom we have a great relationship and great trust. And we believe that, you know, there's transparency and they're doing great work and, you know, give them more business so that they can grow their business as well. And, uh, so it's, it's always a balance because, you know, you said, then you say, oh, well, customers would really like, uh, um, a lightweight puffer jacket, and maybe our outerwear supplier hasn't done that before. Um, in this, in in our case, I don't think that's a that's actually a true example, but just as an example, that's top of mind. Um, and so maybe we need to find some someone else. So um, I think we also um, are fairly unique in that we work a lot uh, directly with the mills that produce some of the textiles that are quite inno- innovative in our um in our collection, so for example, we have our yak wool supplier uh, so we in the winter have a full collection of yak wool sweaters and turtlenecks and cardigans and winter accessories. Um, this we use as a replacement a replacement for cashmere um, because uh, yak herding um, has a much lower impact on the grassland environment uh, versus goat herding. Typically, Um, certainly like the goat cashmere industry um, in Mongolia, for example. Um, And so we work directly with uh, the Yak fiber supplier. um, And they have a very strong and close relationship with the spinner and they have a good relationship with the factory. So through kind of four tiers of the supply chain, we have uh, a very open, transparent conversation. And that's not every supplier, but that's our you know, aspiration is that for many of our uh, core, most important product collections, that we are able to have that transparency and understanding. Even to the point where, for our yak collection, uh, we give up, we give back one uh, percent of the proceeds um, every, you know, every winter, every year, uh, back to the um, foundation that helps the farmers and the her- the yak herders uh, replant the grasslands, so that they can combat desertification in that area of, uh, kind of the border of Tibet and China, uh, where they heard the yak. So, um, that's, you know, the type of relationships that we seek out and try to invest in, um, and also like to help them promote their great product because not a lot of brands are using that type of, uh, product, which is a great sustainable solution, and, um, or even if they are, they don't really have, uh, bandwidth maybe to, to market too much about it because it just doesn't fit into the narrative.
1: And speaking of the different tiers of the supply chain, one thing I wanted to ask you about is you, you guys use, I think it's in Canada, you use electric vehicles for your deliveries, right? Is that, yes. So how, yeah. Can you tell me more about that? Um, that project? I, I just think that's really interesting.
2: Yeah, so um, we since uh, last year, since the second half of last year, uh, started working with a new um, logistics provider. So they do all their our warehousing and logistics um, for um, any you know any package that is uh, sent to the customer, basically. Um, and they're a company in Toronto called Go Bolt, um, and they are really unique because they have you know a very uh, very passionate also about their sustainability mission. And uh, they have a fleet. They're building throughout many cities, but they in Toronto, they have a fleet of electric vehicles that are doing all of their deliveries So uh, from the warehouse. So uh, we launched uh, for the greater Toronto area, which is our biggest market. Um, all deliveries to customer are being the last mile is being done by elect- the Bolt electric vehicle fleet. Um, they've just uh, rolled out in Montreal and Vancouver as well. So now our three biggest markets are being fulfilled uh, by these, by Gobolt's EV fleet. Um, and then New York City is our fourth biggest city, and that one is going to be launched um, in the next couple weeks. So um, we, they are a company that is you know, up and coming, um, also kind of a startup vibe. Um, and we're one of the first uh, fashion apparel brands that is working with them um, because we have this very shared sort of core mission. So um, they are, you know, helping us fulfill also um, in Toronto and some of the key markets they can do next-day delivery or two-day delivery, uh, but also uh, we're able to um, save on those emissions, and then anything that is not delivered by electric vehicle is offset. Um, the carbon emission of that package is, will be offset by Gobold. Got it.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so, I think that's such an interesting idea. Like there's a, you know, there, I think a lot of people are aware that the, the source of fashion and where it comes from. And, you know, like you're saying, the yak herding having less of an impact than goat herding. I think there's an, a, a strong awareness that um apparel, you know, the apparel business has, you know, a big environmental impact before it gets to, you know, before it gets spun and they, where the materials come from and all that. But there's definitely a whole thing towards the end of that process of you know there's in new york city where i live there's delivery trucks all over the place all the time um it's a huge i think potential you know area of opportunity for electrifying and and potentially removing a lot of um emissions from just that whole section uh does it is there any interest or any movement on this from like the larger, more mainstream carriers and fulfillment kind of places? Or is it, is Goldboat like the kind of the one option that you guys found out there?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say in, you know, kind of the, the bids for um, the 3PL warehouse logistics partners, I don't think that anyone else had this, um, was developing this electrical vehicle uh, fleet for the core markets that we're in. Uh, But you shouldn't, Quote me on that 100% because I, I wasn't uh, fully participating in that bid process. Um, but as far as I know, uh, no, there aren't others. Um, of course, you know, we ship, um, uh, we, something that uh, UCG has put a big focus on uh, after the acquisition of Frank and Oak and coming into operating Frank and Oak was developing a truly omni channel business. So um, Frank and Oak was already pretty unique in that the sales, uh, before the pandemic, were were already pretty much 50-50 online and in-store. The pandemic obviously changed that a little bit. Now we're back to that. Um, We have 14 stores in Canada And so we have this amazing network of both stores and online D2C customers. So we really wanted to uh, maximize that by making it possible for customers if they're going online and they see that something is out of a size, if it's available in-store, it could be shipped directly uh, from the store into the customer um, instead of being shipped from the warehouse. So that is something that we activated. And so, in those cases, when it's not Go Bolt making the delivery, we have UPS or Canada Post goes and picks it up in the store, um, delivers it to the customer. Um, but uh, as part of the overall program, um, by the end of this year, all of those should be offset. Uh, the carbon emissions of those should be offset through carbon credits. Um, and then, another, I would say, great thing, kind of in that context, is activating Omnichannel. Also, means that as a customer, if you live in a city with a store, you can buy online. And return if you need to make a return, return the item in store, um, and this is um, a huge uh, both cost but also environmental advantage because you aren't then shipping another package out. Um, you are bringing it to the store yourself, and it is kept in the store. It's not being shipped anywhere else. Kept in the store, you know, quality checked to be resold on location. So um, those are some of the more kind of operational aspects that we are working on.
1: Since you mentioned the omni-channel business, I kind of want to move into some more businessy, you know, general businessy kind of questions because our our listeners like that. But um, so you mentioned it's a pretty even split between online and and store. And didn't you guys recently open like a huge new store? Was that in the U.S.? Like a big thirty five hundred square feet store or something? That
2: would have been probably the Vancouver store. So we opened a Vancouver flagship. Um, in now the time is passing so quickly. I think it was end of twenty twenty one. Okay, and uh, we did open two stores in New York City, but there were more short term kind of uh, short term post pandemic stores, one in Soho and one in Brooklyn, um, and uh, that those were um, kind of us us expansion experiments, I would say, but um, something that we're looking to replicate certainly um, in
1: twenty twenty four. Got it. Yeah. So so what's your your retail kind of next steps um is it are you gonna you know still looking at more stuff in the u.s or more stores in canada or are there what what are markets are you interested in outside of those two
2: countries yes absolutely well about 80 70 80 percent of our sales are in canada um, and the rest is mostly in the u.s um almost exclusively in the u.s um, and so for us, the real priority, uh, for, you know, for growth going forward is expansion into the U S market. Um, we already have a pretty loyal following in California and New York. Um, that's where, uh, most of our U S customers are, although we have sales in all 50 states. Um, and Uh, So for us, you know, our we believe that our value proposition, our brand proposition is something that resonates absolutely with a U.S. customer um, and a U.S. customer that tends to have pretty strong buying power. Um, Again, if we're talking with like financially stable, up and coming uh, customers in their late 20s, early 30s, that uh, that U.S. customer is, you know, a very powerful Um, powerful consumer and we've already seen a lot of traction if they resonate with our brand of our social media, actually, I think 40% is our, is us, um, us followers. So um, with that in mind, um, our, uh, you know, the U S is definitely the the next frontier where there's completely untapped potential because, I think our awareness in Canada is like forty-five percent. Um, so apparel customers in Canada know us. We have multiple stores in all the major cities um, and all some of the top top malls um, throughout the big cities. Um, but in the U.S., we're at you know probably one, scratching the surface—one percent, two percent. But we can see that the customer is absolutely there and will love our story and our product once they once they hear it and see it.
1: Yeah. Well, so that's something I want to ask you about is uh, a lot of the brands that I've talked to in the last year or so have talked about the difficulty of customer acquisition, the kind of traditional channels are, are you know, are very expensive. It's expensive to acquire customers through social media. We know all that. Um, wh- what's your experience with um, with bringing in new customers, whether it's in Canada or the U.S.? And uh, are there channels that you're finding effective and especially cost effective um, or you know, channels that you're finding less effective, just what strategies are you working on for, for new customers?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, it's, uh, probably the same story that we're hearing everywhere is, um, I mean, we started as an online only D 2 C brand taking advantage of relatively lower customer acquisition costs on Facebook. Um, for a long time, most of our spend was just Facebook and Instagram. Um, and, uh, You know, I think from both Frank and Oak perspectives, Frank and Oak was pretty early in terms of D2C brands opening stores, but especially uh, UCG, our parent company, um, really came in with the thesis kind of in 2019, um, saying, you know, D2C, the costs of customer acquisition online are going to become so high, um, and there's a real demand for a new type of retail experience, a better type of retail experience, a seamless experience between your online channel and your retail channel. And um, obviously the pandemic threw a bit of a wrench in things for a while, um, especially in Canada where the restrictions on retail being open open lasted a lot longer than the U.S. Um, But, um, you know, for us, I think we then invested early in setting up these omni-channel Uh, Solution. So again, buy online, return in store, uh, being able to pull from store inventory when people are buying online. Um, And that has, you know, I would say is starting to pay off. So what we see is that um, our new customer acquisition, um, you know, again, um, it's just always kind of a game of for for online only is is always a game of like playing, you know, playing the Google and Facebook and Instagram um, advertising. Um, but what we see now that we've invested in omni-channel is that our LTV for omni-channel customers, so that those who are buying in-store and online, are, um, is like four times higher than retail-only customers or online-only customers. So um, that's something that is uh, really interesting for us and really shows that being able to satisfy the customer in a more 360 way is important. So for so that really is also, you know, making us think more about how are we uh, broadening our distribution channels. So we in the past had done very little wholesale. Again, started as kind of traditional D2C company. Um, but now we are seeing quite a lot of demand from uh more traditional wholesale partners like a Macy's or a Nordstrom who um are looking to attract that consumer that we have that we spoke about. And so We are, you know, I think for us, um, absolutely, we're going to keep spending on customer acquisition online, but we also want to expose the customer to our brand in different channels and different venues and finding people who are, you know, maybe not on Instagram all day long, but who are shopping in a department store um, in a medium sized city in the US. So that is, you know, going to be a really important part of our uh, expansion. strategy in the US and and Canada as well.
1: Yeah. And it, it seems like my understanding from talking to different brands is that, you know, for a while it was like DTC was very attractive for a lot of the reasons that uh, wholesale could be frustrating, which is you have more control, you have a direct relationship with your customers, all that stuff, um, which is still true of DTC. But one of the good things about wholesale is that you just your stuff gets put on the shelves and people who maybe have never heard of you see it because they're in Nordstrom for other reasons or whatever. It's kind of works as a customer acquisition tool that way. Um, that's, so that's interesting. So what's your wholesale business look like right now? Do you, are you, that's something you're looking to get into or do you have any kind of set up already?
2: Yeah. So we started pushing wholesale more at the beginning of last year. Um, and we hired, uh, uh, you know, a team of two people um, at the end of last year who have a lot of um, experience and expertise. And so really, since last year, we've been building, you know, just the operational side for the wholesale business. So making sure that it's easy for potential accounts to view our collections ahead of time to understand the product, um, setting up showrooms, um, both in obviously in our office in Montreal, but then you know, doing some uh, setting up some showrooms in New York as well. And uh, we've seen a lot of traction. So um, we are hoping, you know, Q- we're not, well, we're not hoping because the, the orders are placed, but in Q- from Q3 2023, um, we will be in um, at least like five or six new uh, new accounts. Um, and so that is uh, something that, you know, is showing great promise and that we believe can be a great driver of the business in the next couple of years.
1: Okay. One kind of last big topic I want to make sure we get to is I wanted to ask, are you guys feeling any sort of um pressure from inflation or, you know, what people call like the macroeconomics, uh like, you know, reduced spending or cost cutting on, on your part behind the scenes? Like are are you finding are you feeling the need to find ways to, you know, be more efficient? And um are have you found any of those ways basically? I just I'm thinking again, a lot of the brands that we talk to, I feel like are all kind of negotiating the same problems of like, how do I do more with less, which we talked about a little bit with customer acquisition. Um, but yeah, I'm wondering, are there any other ways you found to be more efficient? And are you feeling that pressure?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, anyone who says they aren't is uh, probably uh, not in reality. Um, and yes, and I think, you know, something we talk a lot about um, as a company and as a team uh, this year is that you know there's no question that consumers are feeling, um, tight. I think we all feel it. (laughs) Um, and so what we need to really, um, you know, a big priority for us is how do we continue to, um, really show customers the value of our product, um, and help them under, you know, kind of keep bringing the value perception of our product up. So talking about sustainability is one part, but, inevitably it also just has to be you know it has to look great and be really attractive Um, because we know that especially as we come towards the end of the year and the holiday season that a lot of customers are going to feel strapped for cash so and there's so much competing on promotion now is you know of course everyone's going to be competing on promotion to some extent but it's just a race to the bottom because you know we were doing reviews of last year promote you know last year black friday started in the early october Um, So we know that early October this year, everyone is going to be racing to discount as much as as possible. And uh, we know that, you know, in order to make our not just our product sustainable, but our business um, sustainable, we need to, um, you know, strive to be more profitable. Um, And uh, in order to do that, we need to maintain our margins. And in order to do that, we need to really make our consumers feel like it's really worth it to buy this product. Um, and not just choose someone else. So that, you know, I think is our real, um, uh, a real priority is, um, kind of helping customers understand what is going into these products, why, why other customers love us. Um, so that's, that's one. Um, and then the other is, um, sort of related to your previous question as well, but just uh, something we've implemented last year is customer loyalty program. So, you know, helping, uh, just engaging with our customers, especially our higher spending customers more. Um, So we have various initiatives um, to, you know, uh, customers over a certain spending threshold, reaching out to them, encouraging them to, um, you know, thanking them for their support and encouraging them to also tell their friends about us. Um and so you know th- really thinking about capturing loyalty and repeat um and increasing the value of our existing customers um is also a priority there.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, last thing then I want to ask you is just you know totally open ended. Um, what's kind of your main priority for the next twelve months? Um, and just you know could be anything related to you know business stuff or just you know sustainability things around Frank and Oak, um, any big projects that you guys are working on or something you have coming up that you're really excited about?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, you know, there's, um, I would say three, which I've, uh, spoken to throughout the conversation, but I would summarize as, uh, number one is, you know, really making ourselves known in the U S and getting a maximizing our potential and kind of getting our, um, you know, getting, getting credit for, for some of the great work that, uh, the great product that we're doing. And, um, we've shown that customers in Canada love us. We believe that customers in the U S will love us too. So it's really just penetrating the U S market. Um, number two is, um, is really, you know, kind of what I said is making sure that customers understand the value of our products and increasing the the value perception so that we are not just falling prey to becoming a super discount brand. Um, and the third is really, um, you know, we really uh, believe that the future of retail is omnichannel. And so really developing all the channels equally um, and uh, not just... Falling into a trap of, you know, we're a D2C brand, we're spending a lot of money on acquisition, we have too much inventory, we have to discount. So really building a healthy business that is multi-channel and that allows for a customer to shop us in multi-channel, which we then believe breeds loyalty and also helps us um, attract new customers. Um, so building that multi-channel distribution, um, to be strong and stable and growing is, uh, probably the biggest priority.
1: Elizabeth, I think that's all the time we have. Thank you so, so much for, for joining. This was such a great conversation and thanks for walking us through some of your thoughts and, and strategies. It was great to have you on.
2: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.
1: That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, subscribe, give us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening to The Glossy Podcast.